Well, hello, Lions fans, and welcome to one of these years. I am Chris Burke, joined by uh, Nick Baumgartner, who, as our Michigan State beat writer Colton Pouncey pointed out on uh, Twitter, <laughs> I think leads the league now in number of podcasts he's co-hosting. So congratulations, Nick. <laughs> Thank you. This is the hat trick, Chris. Uh, this is the third show, and I'm going to take this time to plug our other ones. So I have the beat, the beat with myself and Brendan Quinn. I have uh, Run Past Michigan with... Uh, myself and Austin Meek and Colton also joins us on the beat, so we're uh, we're making the rounds for sure. But uh, always good to talk football for sure. Uh, yeah, and it, it, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of college football to talk in Big Ten exactly. country at the moment, which is part yeah. of why Nick's here on the Lions show. But uh, yeah, we're uh, we're excited to be here. Um, you know, this. Uh, for those of you who have been with us since the beginning on The Athletic, we had a show, Lions Podcast, back in 2017, myself and uh, Ty Schalter, that we kind of jumped into mid-season, uh, and then for various reasons, went away 2018, 2019, but um, really wanted to bring one back, and part of the reason I did is uh, just because so many of you reached out and asked for us to have one, and, and kept in, you know saying you wanted one, wondering when it was coming, so uh, I got to thank you for for that because uh you know a lot of that helped me kick the tires uh, and get this going again and um, you can subscribe to this show on apple podcasts and spotify and a bunch of other spots where you'd normally listen to podcasts uh no subscription required to the athletic mm. but uh obviously we'd love to have you at the athletic if you haven't subscribed yet and working on um not this show but hopefully by our next show uh which we'll be doing these weekly unless something big comes up hopefully by our next show we'll have a little uh, promo code for you so you can hop over and get uh, some money off of an athletic subscription if you need one there but we go. um so yeah uh one of these years is what we've decided to go with uh as our title i don't know that this is going to be the year maybe <laughs> <laughs> who knows i guess that's the whole point it could be any somebody <laughs> somebody said maybe it should be a transition to one of these decades and i don't know if we can say this is the start of a new decade as well there so you go. We can't promise that either, but um, you know, I don't know. We we kicked around a few ideas for names, but I thought this was uh, this was this is like a lot. Like Lions fans are long suffering, and the ones that are still around uh, deserve the respect for having sure. having been around long enough. I sure. think they can appreciate it. So, uh, so I think that works out. And a shout out to uh, our producer Kent Garrison for the great mm-hmm. art for our podcast as well. Awesome, um, yeah. We've seen that, but uh, yeah, I mean, we may as well get right into this because. Somehow there's a football game on Sunday, <laughs> the Lions hosting the Bears in week one. Um, you know, the, because of uh, what's been going on with the pandemic, the, lost most of the spring yeah. and summer in person. We got to see them for a couple weeks, uh, maybe a little more than a couple weeks out at uh, Allen Park and once briefly at Ford Field as they were gearing up for a scrimmage. Um so I guess what are your initial impressions here, Nick? We, like I said, we normally have OTAs and rookie camp and a right. lot of a lot of stuff to go off of preseason. Certainly, uh, we just have sort of the intra squad stuff that they did. So um, yeah, I mean yeah. it's been crazy, right? Because like I can remember talking. We were talking back in like May, and we were like, "How are they?" Getting, or maybe it was June or something. I don't know. The dates it's are all always, the same. Yeah, yeah, right. But it was like the my original thing like in the summer was like are they going to try to come back and like jam an entire training camp or off season's worth of stuff in 2 weeks and like I'm I'm just picturing in my head like guys are going to be dropping every day with injuries and all this and we didn't know if guys would make it through covid tests or anything else <laughs> right. and like that that first 2 weeks of padded you know camp stuff like the first day that I think you went out there on the first Monday <laughs> you just like, 
and I went out there the next day, and you're like, we have no idea what in the hell is going to happen in <laughs> any of this. But like, you know, they've survived to a, to a point, and you know, the more that went on, it was actually very strange. The more that went on, the more normal it started to feel. And you know, the Lions, like every other team in the NFL, are going to have issues with you know the offensive line is going to be shaky, early tackling is going to be shaky, all the things that get missed from the off season's worth of work. But I would say that by and large. Uh, you know, they've, the NFL in general, and I we can only speak for what we see here in Detroit, but like, they, they've seemed to handle it pretty darn well, and they've gotten to this point, and like we said, I mean, it's crazy that there's going to be a game in, on Sunday, but like, they've gotten to this point more or less still standing, and like, the, you know, it's been impressive, and in some ways it's felt a little more normal than I thought it would. Yeah, we were talking about that when we were down at Ford Field watching them get warm up, yeah. and you sort of said that this is, you know, you said the same thing. Like eventually, because it, it was weird in there. I mean, they were coming oh, yeah, out. Was, they, were, yeah. they did their, they, you know, they were running out of the tunnel like it was pregame. They were kind of going through their whole routine, and mm-hmm. there was just the, you know, sort of the ambient, you know, little music, some ambient crowd noise, and. Uh, you said the same thing. Like, I wonder how many games it's going to take for this to feel. <laughs> like yeah, like just thing. totally normal. Like, yeah, oh, we'll empty going to an empty stadium. Uh, but <laughs> I, you know, I was talking with someone in the organization the other day when I went out there for my uh, most recent round of COVID testing, and mm. they're saying, you know, that the NFL's set at least ten- tentatively set uh, a limit of seventy decibels for the volume, this audio loop that they can have on game days and he was saying to me that you can basically only hear that on the field if everyone is completely silent like if the game <laughs> the play is going on you can't even hear the crowd noise anyway so i don't know who yeah. it's who it's there for i guess for tv maybe more than anything it's gotta but, be it's gotta um, be for tv but yeah so. i mean you're right it has been i i i I mean, there was a point maybe a week into this, uh, a few days into this, where you thought, all right, maybe they can pull this off. But up mm-hmm. until then, I was pretty yeah. convinced we weren't going to get here. And I, I will say, we don't know that they are going to pull it off. I mean, it could That's true. It could yeah. fall apart at any point, really. But I think to this point, um, it's been impressive. It certainly helps to have you know, millions and millions of dollars to throw behind daily testing that gets turned mm-hmm. around in 24 hours. Yeah. Um, and that's a big, big part of it. But I think you do have to give credit to the league and the, the teams for how they're operating and certainly to the players because they're, you know, everyone in Detroit at least keeps using this phrase. Um, you know, it's not a bubble, but it's the closest thing we can get to a bubble. You know, it's mm-hmm. kind kind of a bubble. <laughs> and, yeah. But it's not really. It's not a bubble at all. People no, are going not. home. They can go, you know. They're telling them to go back to back home, just stay home or go to the team hotel or whatever. But it's not like the NBA where they're barred from leaving the premises. Like these guys are on their own after practices. So you got to give, uh, and certainly the players have committed to this so far. So um, we'll see. But like you said, we don't, I mean, this, Matt Patricia talked last year about how bad September football is because they only get oh. so many days to practice during the off season. And now they lost like 80% of that. Um, So this is going to be, I mean, I think this is going to be pretty ugly right away. And everyone sort of accepts that. Um, But I don't know. Do you have any feel for whether the Lions are in position to weather that? I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's going to be all the things that take, you know, the longest time on task for even pros to sort of get themselves back into a rhythm, which would, you know, number one, you know, I can't expect unless your offensive line is just amazing, uh, that anybody's run game is going to be real clean, um, right out of the shoot. Uh, you know, like, the, like we said earlier, the tackling I would think would be sort of suspect. And, you know, the other thing that I think I, I'm sure all these coaches are just completely paranoid about is they have no tape on anything 
at all, <laughs> you know, with like with like anything from anyone in a current situation. So obviously you have you know for the Lions this week you, know, you have Bears tape from last year, but that doesn't necessarily mean uh, you know you know that's the same as it would be this year. Um, you know, we've already seen the Bears go through that song and dance with, you know, the, the faux quarterback battle or whatever you want to call that. Maybe it was real. I don't know. But like, yeah. obviously, they probably weren't cutting bait on that, you know, this early. So, I mean, like, all, there, there's probably mysteries going on. I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, some of these coaches who get really deep into the weeds on some of that stuff and the paranoia, like, maybe even outthink themselves early. Uh, you know, and I'm also I'm also wondering which coaches or which you know play callers will say screw it we're just going to go like super super basic and try to just grind through this like if you have a roster that's pretty established I think you could probably pull that off but like a team like the Lions who have established players in a couple spots but have by and large I mean there's a lot of new there's a lot of new on you know on this team at both sides of the ball I I I think the first couple weeks have got to be just the same as it would be in in any other year but maybe more so just get through it just like survive September and maybe it'll get easier in October, but uh, some of the issues, penalties, things like that, I mean, I think it's going to get really kind of choppy and ugly, and I still don't know what's going to happen in terms of injuries when these guys really crank it up and hit, because uh, how many times are, are we going to venture a guess that since August 17th, 18th, whatever, how many times will we say, Chris, the Lions have like hit live, live for like an hour? Like, how many times do we think that's happened? Three Four, right, like maybe? three, I maybe mean, yeah. maybe four. Like the couple like, scrimmages yeah. and like maybe one or two other practices and spurts and everything else has been pretty, I mean, right. the, where they're yelling a lot yeah. to not go to the ground. Right, <laughs> quick and, whistle and like medium whistle, a couple of long whistles, but like truly live, live, like all the way. I mean, in, in the two-week camp period, it was that one Saturday and that was basically it. There was a handful of reps. Like we were kind of like, we weren't, you know, it was whatever, but we were noting the one day, I think it was like Friday, the last day of, might have been the last day I was out there, um, where they went live for like three plays on the goal line and on one of them, Hal Vitae got hurt. <laughs> and you're just like, this is like, this is how this is going to go. He got rolled up on and it was like the sixth live rep of camp and every single time they did a live rep somebody was getting up slow and you're just like oh my god like how is this going to yeah. go well that's what so i don't I, know if yeah. i don't know if you watched any of the college football that happened this weekend uh but i not, I, I, not all of it i was watching army middle tennessee the other day and that, right. army is sort of its own animal mm-hmm. because of how their linemen you know use those cut blocks and everything guys get hurt on the opposition all the time anyway but uh middle tennessee players were dropping on like every other play yeah. Um, and that, yeah, and sort of in the back of my head, this conversation of, well, okay, so here's your, you got your 53 man roster. You got your, you know, two spots if you want to use them to bump that, bump it up to 55 on game days. But it just feels like one of those seasons where you're going to be going like 70, 75 deep yes. and needing people. Uh, and which yeah. is why the practice squads are as big as they are. But I think, you know, there's going to be some guys coming in here. Um, you know, the Lions have a week five by I wouldn't be surprised if by that point you know they're looking for for more help elsewhere and you just kind of hope that you know it's I, <laughs> I hate to say you know you're hoping specific positions or something get hit by injuries more than others but obviously <laughs> you, you know you need Stafford to stay yeah, healthy right. and you need Jamie Collins and Deron Harmon to stay healthy now that they're here and mm-hmm. uh, there's like there's a handful of guys that you probably can't get through this season without so yeah that's going to be one of the things that's that's really interesting. And just to go back to the tape conversation, I mean, I, I think that the Lions, maybe they do have a little bit of an advantage there because of, um, you know, I, I, we're recording on yeah. uh, Tuesday morning. Our, my season preview is going up Wednesday. And as I mentioned in there, I mean, just looking at this depth chart, they 
in theory, could have six new defensive starters, including guys, you know, Jamie Collins completely changes what you can do in the front seven. And mm-hmm. Deron Harmon changes what you do with your safeties. And uh, Okuda Trufant's probably going to be different than Slay Rashawn Melvin. So I think there is some advantage there. And um, there's only eight games of Stafford Daryl Bevel game tape. And that the last one point. was yeah. from like Halloween yeah. last year. Right. So, and they were uh, cooking, as we know. So, yeah, that's a great point. Great point. So, I mean, I think that that's going to be difficult to go back and get too much out of those. So I think you're right. I think some of this is just going to be feeling out the process, especially in the, you know, those scripted plays. Like there's an opportunity to come out and really hit the ground running. If you, if you can somehow click out of the gate in week one, uh, it's going to be tough to counter some of that stuff until at least you get back in the locker room at halftime and can adjust. So. Yeah, uh, so yeah. We'll it feels see. like it feels like more than ever right now in the early stages, and this is probably the case through an entire year. But more than ever, it would be you have to lean on as much as possible the handful of things that you know, you know, that you know you probably have an advantage on, or that you know are really good. And, and for the Lions, that's obviously Stafford, the receiving core, the pass game in general. But it's also complicated because you know, are they going to be able to protect? Are they going to be able to hold up? Are they going to be able to keep people off them if they can't run the ball? Can they run the ball? But like, you know, that. so I think it, it'll be a lot of, you know, it could be very vanilla. It could, you know, it could be. I, I wouldn't expect fireworks happening unless you have a really veteran team. But I mean, I would think you'd lean on the stuff that Brian, that's a great point. I haven't really thought about that as much. There's only eight games of Stafford in this offense. He looked super comfortable in that stretch, but it's, you know, that was a long time ago and, you know, almost a year ago now is when it ended. So like, you know, that's, uh, we'll see how it goes, but you know, it'll be an interesting couple of weeks for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, we wanted to try and take a few minutes here and just sort of go down, you know, get into a little bit of a season preview mode, go through this yeah. roster and, and go almost position by position because, uh, running back, certainly a big one that we need to get to. Um, even in that context, you know, that those eight games were with, Mm-hmm. carry on Johnson for a little bit not playing very well so in th- you know there's a possibility this run game is totally different than what we saw last year but uh, I guess let's start with the quarterback I don't know how much there is really to discuss here other than it, how do you keep yeah. him healthy for 16 games but I, I mean I think we saw what he's capable of what Stafford's capable of in this offense right and I think it's important to note like and you never you, you I don't want to you know read someone's mind or whatever and we're not trying to do that but he seems so comfortable uh, mentally in the in this offense. He did last year, I thought. Um, he really does seem to be on the same page in every way with, with Daryl Bevel. There doesn't seem to be any, you know, sort of awkwardness there at all. It seems like it, it seemed like it was so smooth early and then it just kept going that way. And, and now, you know, he does, and obviously we talked to him on Zoom, what was it, yesterday, Monday, and he was the straight, stern-faced game week Stafford. But he does seem like he's ready to just like plow through a plate glass window or something here because he hasn't been able to play <laughs> since Halloween. Yeah, like that's what that's my take on Steph. Like when when we got out there and first started seeing him throw the ball around in that first week, I mean the thing was just flying off of his hand like it would have been in, in a regular. I mean he was cranked up. I mean when they went back out there and practiced, I mean that's been he's always kind of like that, I guess. But like that's seemed really really evident to me that he is like just foaming at the mouth here to get back out there because I think he knows. You know, hey, by week eight, whatever it was last year, he was cooking. Like, he was in the groove, and then he gets hurt. And I think it was uh, – and I think he knew it. I think the Lions knew it. And I think he's just itching to get out there and show that, you know, that wasn't a fluky eight games or whatever, that this can be something he can do for a full season. I mean, that's been so evident to me in any situation that we've had with him, you know, conversation, whatever, you know, for probably the last few months is that he's just ready to roll. You know, I don't know. You've been around him longer than I have, but that's been pretty evident to me as we go into the season here. 
Yeah, I don't think there's any question. I mean, going back even to last year, they were they were three, four, and one when he was healthy. Yep. So you sort of look and say, well, if that's him playing at his best and that's what they got out of it, you know, how much good does that do you? But I think even looking back at the first half of the year, like they should have beaten the Cardinals, they should have beaten the Chiefs, they should have beaten the Packers, they could have right. beaten the Raiders. Like they they were not that far away from from having yep. a really good start to that year, being six and two or something like that. And and I think that that's sort of the hope that. You know, if you step right back in and get the offense going the way it is and the defense is even marginally better than it was last year, uh, you know, there's a chance for this team to be really good. And I think, yeah, for him, I mean, I I think they're – he's an interesting guy. And we've talked about this. uh, His personality is really unique, I think, among NFL quarterbacks because he just – he really just wants to show up and go to the games and go to practice mm-hmm. and get out of there and yeah, go, right. yeah, you know, yeah. go home or where, go watch film somewhere, go see his kids. Like he doesn't want to be that guy that you're talking about uh, surfacing on social media for a week. Mm-hmm. Like he wants to, you know, it's always very, you know, he'll, he'll loosen up uh, especially, you know, off the record a little bit, but he, he's very businesslike. Like you mentioned, like he, he locks, you can tell when he locks in and it's, that's just sort of always how he is, yeah. like you said. So I think it's, um, you know, it, it is interesting to kind of see him shift into regular season mode. And I think for him, there's always kind of this, uh, I don't know if it's just, I don't know if it's playing for the Lions or if just the situation he's been in, but I do think that there is kind of that chip on his shoulder always. <laughs> of, yeah. Well, yeah. You're, you're a really good quarterback, but, you know, what is it? Right. What have you accomplished? I think that's always been there. Um, and he, I think he pretends not to hear any of that. And he, you know, I, oh, I don't care about MVP. I don't, whatever happens, happen. I'm just going to go out there and, and throw it around and, and do the best I can to win. But I think it's in, I, I don't know how you completely ignore that. And I think just mm-hmm. even from a personal level, uh, like, I, I think this is another one of those years where he feels like the team has a chance to be good. And there's been a few of those <laughs> while he's been right. here and it hasn't always panned out. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it, too. And I think that we sensed some of that last year where I think he realized, you know, Galladay was up and coming. They know Hawkinson's going to be good. There are pieces around him, you know, in the past game that he, you know, that he knows are diverse enough to where they can have, you know, an offense that's not the easiest to defend. I mean, you know, we we can go down all the numbers. I mean, last year, Stafford was like 12.1 yards per attempt on play action passes which is just ridiculous the play action attempts which is ridiculous I mean they were chunking everybody he was completely dialed in and like you said I mean he's one of these guys that seems like you know let me get in there and then for three and a half hours or whatever it is on a Sunday I'm going to give everything I have as best as I can do it and then I'm going to go home and be a dad and a husband and everything else but like when he's there it's there's no he's one of the most focused athletes I've ever probably been around up close and that like it's just crazy I mean I, I always go back to like last year before the Kansas City game, I think it was, when he was already on the injury report with a with a back, uh, and folks knew he was dinged up from the previous year, and he's out there warming up and he's barely able to move around. Yeah. And then the first play <laughs> and the first play of the game, he rips one like forty five yards down the middle of, of a seam and you're like, Oh my God. Like and so he feels it feels like he's in that, you know, headspace again, which can't be anything but a good thing for the Lions. Obviously you've got to keep him upright, but he seems ready to roll. They don't have any issues there at all. Um, in, in my, you know, in my estimation, he looked fine in camp. He looked like he was doing everything. He's running around fine. You know, the I mean, right away they were letting him run out of the pocket a little bit too. So we'll see what happens when he gets hit. But you know, so far, uh, you know, I, I, there's no concern 
uh, from what I've seen at all with Matthew Stafford. I don't know. The backups maybe are a little different, but with Stafford, it's it, it, he seems ready to go. Yeah, and the, the fact that he hasn't been hit, that goes back to our conversation of just yeah. how long it's been. I mean, because they even, you know, most years he's not getting hit in camp. He's not getting hit in OTAs, right. but he would have gotten a little bit of preseason action just to kind of knock the cobwebs off a little bit. And, yeah, you got to sort of see how he responds. But he did look healthy. Like you said, it was important. The biggest thing was just seeing him out there and seeing if they let him, you know, get outside mm-hmm. the pocket on play action or if how he'd look if he needed to, you know, sort of step up because rushers were coming at him. And I thought all that looked the way it looks when he's healthy. So that's a great sign for them. Um, and I think, you know, before we move on to the running backs here, just one last point. You mentioned, uh, you know, how effective he was off play action, how many chunk plays mm-hmm. they found. I think it says something about this offense and about, you know, Kenny Galladay probably especially, yeah. but they, even when Stafford was out, you know, David Blau's first pass on th- completed pass on Thanksgiving <laughs> was like a 70-yard touchdown yeah, to right. Galladay. So even when Stafford was out, they were just finding guys off the street to play offense. They were still taking those shots and still able to open some things up. So I think that, uh, you know, you've got to feel pretty good if, if all the pieces come together, which we'll get to whether or not that'll yeah. happen here momentarily, but if all the pieces come together, like the, the QB coordinator pairing seems like it's about as good as you could hope for. Yeah, it seems like it's it's as smooth as anything I can remember. Uh, Staff, I mean, he's had mega years before and it seemed, you know, it seemed like he's in sort of in tune and, and dialed in and everything else, but like this just seems like what they're trying to do with the run game to complement everything that he can do at his age, it seems like it's the perfect sort of pairing. They just have got to figure out a way to keep him healthy and, you know, make sure all those guys around him, you know, do their part. So that run game, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, every year, this is sort of the lion's talking point. Are they going to have the run game to, to supplement the passing attack? And just in terms of sheer talent in that backfield this year, this is as good as it's been in a very long time. Uh, like Car- yeah. Carry on Johnson, assuming the knee holds up. DeAndre Swift, assuming he's healthy. <laughs> you know, Adrian yeah. Peterson, assuming he's still got it at at uh, age thirty five. And I guess that's you know that's sort of the the thing that pops out first and foremost. That you've got three really good backs. You maybe can mix and match. So uh, you know you can get some different uh, matchups depending on what type of defense you're facing. But you also have at least in in carry on a guy who's been banged up for a couple of years, you know Peterson still ran the ball a lot the last two years, but just by virtue of his position and age, you worry about it a little bit. And we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, the last couple of years they haven't been able to, you know, the the veteran running backs they brought in have kind of fallen on their face. And then Swift missed a bunch of camp banged up, so you're kind of already in a nervous space. I feel like with this run game, but the flip side is the ceiling is is up it, there yeah. right i mean it's it's got to be with what they can do through the air and the way that defenses are going to have to defend yeah i mean the front's got to help um and i thought that they were close at times last year like i thought and we talked about this a lot in september october of last year before carry got hurt and it was you know kind of proven uh, when bo scarborough came in carry in the first however many games i mean i thought they were opening more lanes than he was finding um you know, Graham Glasgow had a really good start to the season, obviously, in a good year in general. Uh, Ragnow was the second best, you know, run blocking center in the NFL. They were, 
they weren't great or anything up front, but like you go back to those first couple weeks and it's like they're better than what they were getting. It felt like to me. It felt like to me, and I, I could be that could be wrong, but you know, he just it it was either hesitant or he was too quick and, and too decisive and not patient enough or whatever else it would have been. Um, and I think that's probably normally the case with Carrion and the latter is it's he just makes his decision and goes and is still trying to work on his sort of feel between the tackles. To me, he's a better outside runner, which is sort of the same with yeah. somebody like DeAndre Swift. But even yep. somebody like Swift, you know, when we watched him and, you know, we, when we watched all this stuff from Georgia and you watch some of these running backs that came out, I mean, Swift and, Do- and J.K. Dobbins were pretty similar in this. They're patient runners who can kind of hunt and pack and figure out a way to clear through the traffic and, and make it work, or at least they did in college. And that was something that they were missing last year. I mean, they found it eventually in Scarborough in, a, in this weird situation where he ended up doing just fine. I mean, for the most part. I mean, if if Scarborough's giving them what he gave them at the end of the year, at the beginning of the year, who knows what happens if he's playing, you know, with a healthy staffer. But but either way, it was just you know I think right now the situation when people ask you know why they bring Peterson in. Obviously, like you mentioned, Chris. I mean, the health is probably one part of it, uh, a pretty big part of it. But I, 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 I think they want more out of Carryon Johnson. I don't think. I think we can probably safely assume that they absolutely want more. They're probably concerned about his health in general. But I think that he still has a lot um, in a in a nuanced department as a player, a, a, a fair amount of work to do in front of him. I think Adrian Peterson could certainly help with that, but. There's a pushing level here that's going on, I feel like, where it's like we, you've got to get more out of Carrion because he can give you more. But, you know, last year it was kind of this, well, he's a second-year player and he was like the de facto starter and then he gets out there and it's like, well, what's even happening here? So, I don't know. There wasn't enough consistency, it didn't feel like. Um, it feels like it's possible. Then again, you've reshuffled the line and we'll see what happens. But it's just a really interesting scenario where you go through camp, Carrion barely did anything. Swift practiced for like two days and then didn't do anything for like two weeks. Scarborough did almost nothing. You know, and so you're left with you end up waving Jason Huntley. You're left with Ty Johnson <laughs> Jeez, yeah. and Scarborough still hurt. So it's like you know, it's it's a weird situation. Uh, and whatever it looks like in week one, I can't imagine it'll look like that in week five. But you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I I think Carrion's one of the more interesting guys on this team because I I do think that fully healthy if he ever plays a full 16 game season, he can be a really productive back in this league. But you're mm-hmm. right, the start of last year. He seemed like he got caught in the scheme change more than anyone yeah. else. Like he just did not seem comfortable. You know, they signed C.J. Anderson. And he was just that was just a waste. Um, right. They didn't have Scarborough, so they sort of forced Carryon Johnson into this you know ball control between the tackles guy, which maybe he is. Maybe he can do that as part of his game, but that's certainly not where he's best. Like you said, I think he's best right. outside the tackles. We saw that in his rookie year. His numbers outside the tackles compared to inside the tackles in his rookie year, it's not even close. He was way more effective, way more productive on the, on the edge. And, um, you know, that, that wasn't really what they were asking him to do last year. And then he came in at the end of the year, and I thought he was more decisive those last couple games when he came back. Yeah. But I don't know if that was because he was more comfortable or because he was fresher than everyone else he was playing against. Well, yeah, and I think he was, like, freaking out a little bit too, right? Where it's like, let me just go in here and run as hard as I can. He, he was, like, running 200 miles an hour when he came back at the end of the season. It was like, uh, is this going to work too? So there right. has to be some kind of balance there, you know? Like, he's got to figure something out. I mean, do you still – do you think he can be – like, is he a number one back in this league? Is he, or is he just a guy that now – that's why they've drafted Swift, why they brought in Peterson. Like, yeah. you want him to be your – number two, number three guy who who's kind of a compliment? Or do you think he can be a, you know, thousand-yard back, 1,500 total-yard back? 
I thought he was a 1A or 1B when they drafted him, and like I still kind of think that that's what he can be, like a guy who's sort of in your top two who you can give 18 to 20 carries a game, or you know, if you had to, he can take 20, 25, whatever it is, if the circumstances sort of dictate that. But I don't look at him and say, you know, this is a guy who's going to be like Zeke Elliott or something. Like you can just totally lean on in no. all capacities, you know, of your offense, and he can do so many different things for you. I think that he's a complimentary top end, you know, probably a top tier ish complimentary back who, you know, Swift is probably, you know, even though he's more diverse as a talent and maybe even more talented in general, um, but he's probably also in that same category, I would think. Uh, and, and that's fine. Like those two together, in theory, I think, you know, if you've got one more guy with him, with them, you know, I think that works. I mean, I, I think that Carrion has to be more than just a first down back. I think he can be, but he also has to be able to play on first down. Whereas you kind of sort through the whole thing and you say, well, Scarborough, right, who's out now, obviously, but Scarborough's a first down runner in this offense. He's a he's a guy who first and second down, you can use him. You're not going to use him on passing downs. You can use Carrion on passing downs. We know you can use Swift on passing downs. Those are three down backs who can play the whole way through. So in that sense, I think he is, but I mean, I just think there, he's got to be more consistent um, you know, as a guy between the tackles with his vision and making sure that if the play is blocked for four, he's getting four. Like that, that's the thing with him that sort of kept sticking out to me where there was times and it wasn't like egregious, but it adds up. Right. So it's like, that looked like, that looked like it was blocked for three or four and you got two, one or two or nothing. You know, that adds up that suddenly right. it's second and nine instead of second and six. And in this offense that changes literally everything. So those are the things with him where, you know, he's a talented player. I think he is, you know, in space, like we've said, we've seen him do really good things. We've seen him run off the edge and do really good things. He was better as a rookie between the tackles uh, as a runner statistically. So I think he's a good player. I think he's a he's certainly a guy who you can lean on and a, and a guy the franchise can be excited about. But there has to be more in there, and there has to be probably more of an understanding from fans, too. Like, he's probably not, uh, you know, going to be a guy that's going to get 25 a game and just be a 1,500-yard bat. I don't think that's him. And I don't I don't know if the Lions ever expect – maybe they did. But that's just not – I didn't think that was him when they tra- drafted him. I don't think that's him now. But I still think he's certainly a valuable piece, you know, when healthy and a guy that is still sort of learning as he goes. It's only his third year. So I think there's still time. But I think this is a big spot for him. This is a big moment. He's being challenged now. You know, he's coming off the two injuries. We know it's there's no questions. We know what he needs to improve on. So now we got to see. You know, are you going to go do it? Yeah, and I, I, I think people maybe are sleeping on him a little bit. I mean, he is a he's a good pass catching. Yeah, back. he's a talented player. He can get player, out yeah, and play. Sure. I mean, he can block a little bit. Uh, he has had some big mo- like some big runs from time to time. I I just don't. You know, as a receiver, he, he's really effective. I don't know that he's as good a receiver as Swift. He can be good between the tackles. I doubt he's going to be as good between the tackles as Adrian Peterson. So you sort of right. start looking for, well, where is the role for him? If Peterson comes in and is even remotely similar to the guy he was in Washington the last couple of years, I mean, he's probably not getting 20, 25 carries a game either, but he's there's a pretty good chance he's your most reliable downhill guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and Swift is the more dynamic guy coming out of the backfield. So you start looking around and wondering if that's going to cut into carry-ons upside at all and I mean it probably does just by number of touches but right. I'm with you I, I mean I think there is room for him to uh kind of step up this season and I don't think people necessarily should write him off we're talking about a you know 22 23 year old back who's been productive when he's been healthy yeah. at times so that'll be interesting yeah I, I'm curious to see 
what he brings to the table this year. And if, I mean, it, he's probably starting Sunday unless Peterson's uh, starting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I, I just, like, if, if they're worried about his knee, um, he still got that giant brace on. He didn't do a lot in camp. We, you know, they went behind closed doors about, what, two weeks ago now, somewhere in there, a week and a half. Like, if they're worried about his knee, I could definitely see this being a situation where, you know, Peterson gets a, a bunch more carries than maybe you would have expected because, I mean, let's be clear, 35-year-old Adrian Peterson can show up and run inside zone and duo and stuff <laughs> all, without ever practicing with an offensive line and probably, you know, rush for 60 yards. He'll be, <laughs> I think he'll, I think he'll be able to figure it out. I wouldn't think that'd be too big of a deal. That was a smart signing, I thought, and but I think it also tells us that there is a little uncertainty of how much you know, carry on can handle whether or not he, you know, I don't know if it's bad enough to where he's not, maybe not going to play or something, but like, you know, if you're trying to limit the number of touches uh, in September on his body, that sounds like a smart thing. And same with Swift. I mean, like how realistic, realistically, how much do we think DeAndre Swift can play in week one and be trusted, you know, like in, in every scenario, I, I would think it would have to be super situational, like whatever he's comfortable with, you can roll with. But I mean, I don't think you can, Unless he, he blew them away after, you know, we didn't see stuff if he came back after he got hurt. But, I mean, he just hasn't practiced. Right. So I would think that Peterson, you know, at least for a couple of weeks maybe even, could be in for, you know, uh, probably something similar to what he had last year in Washington, right, where it was 20, 25 snaps a game. Maybe he gets 13, 15 carries, something like that. Um, yeah. Whatever it ends up being. All right. Well, we, I think we spent more time on carry on than we did on Stafford, so we probably should move along. Uh, but we go from running back to which is, uh, you know, a, a position with a lot of question marks to maybe the most set, solid position on the entire roster outside yeah. of number one quarterback, which is wide receiver. Uh, where their top three, I mean, you've got Kenny Galladay, who uh, might get a huge contract extension between when we are recording this and when the yeah, episode yeah, yeah. goes out. You've got Marvin Jones, who's in the last year of his deal, but still looks like he can be an ultra-productive outside receiver. Danny Amendola, I mean, I think we know what he is at this point. And then there are three good depth guys, it would appear, in Quintez Cephas, uh, Jamal Agnew, and Marvin Hall, all of whom looked really good uh, in mm-hmm. camp. So... Uh, I don't know where you even nitpick here. You're six deep with yeah. the top three that's as good maybe as, as you're going to get in football. All six of them I feel like are ready to play. Like I think I wouldn't be – like if two of the top three got hurt or something and we, you had to put the other two guys – I'm not saying that they would come in and play at the same level, but they're all playable. They're all ready to go, it seemed like to me. Marvin Hall looked like one of the most improved players on the team. And Agnew – I mean, like, the more we watched him run routes and get open and and just have this kind of natural feel about how to operate in space, two things. The more I wondered, why the hell did it take this long for him to be moved over to offense? And then the second part would be is that he feels like a guy who could be a lot more than just a gadget, like he's going to get a jet sweep here or there or he's going to get a screen or something. Like, I feel like he could be the type of weapon that we see now in sort of modern passing offenses that are extremely difficult, you know, given, you know, other guys around him that are on the field together with him. Like, what do you do with him uh, defensively? Like, who are you matching up with? You know, what kind of matchup fits best with him? If he gets one-on-one with somebody that can't run with him in the middle of the field, when you've got Galladay and Marvin Jones and maybe even like Amandola still out there. I mean, if they go four, what, 
what do you do with him? I don't, you know, it's 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 a difficult. He's one of these guys. It's kind of like a weird tweener that that's in a good way. All of a sudden, these these tweeners who are sort of a half running back, half receiver, half just guy who can get open and run around. I mean, like he's a guy that's super super interesting to me. I feel like his role could be really cool this year. But then it, you can get into the weeds talking about the back three because the top three are so steady. And you know, I think Marvin Jones. I think we would agree is maybe. He might have had one of the best camps yeah, no uh, of anybody on the team. I mean, he was like all the way locked in. I don't know if they're going to pay him, but like he, somebody's <laughs> going to, and he knows that, and so he's here for it. And uh, yeah, it's it's impressive. That was an impressive top six all the way through camp without really any exception. Yeah, and that's that's uh, definitely a subplot for Marvin Jones because I, this is, I mean, mm-hmm. you would assume this is his last opportunity to land a huge deal. Um, he's going to be thirty, like. He, he still looks like he can play another four or five years, but if you're looking yeah. for a, a two, three year deal, like this is the time to cash in. Wide receiver contracts are, are going up, and so, yeah, I don't know that they can or will be willing. I mean, I'm sure they could probably afford Galladay and Jones together. I don't know if they'd be willing to do that. Go to whatever it would cost on the cap, you know, twenty five, thirty million per year for your top two receivers. Right. Uh, but yeah, he was great throughout camp, and I mean, I said something similar in the preview. Like if you were, if you pulled up the Dolphins' Week One depth chart, and it was Cephas Hall Agnew you're like oh that's not great but that wouldn't stand <laughs> out as like oh this is they're it's not a disaster like yeah you could, you could <laughs> yeah, get by right. with that so I think yeah. that that uh yeah that's certainly an impressive group and I mean Galladay um I, the the only real question other than the contract with him is if there's that extra level you know Daryl Bevel said this offseason they want to turn him from you know last year he was he almost had 1,200 yards. He had 11 touchdowns with half a season of Stafford. And yeah. you know, Bevel said they want him to be, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Michael Thomas where defenses go into games, and that's their priority. How are yeah. we going to stop this guy? And uh, I mean, it seems like he might have that level to him, which is uh, kind of amazing because those are – I mean, DeAndre Hopkins is is a complete game changer. Yeah. So if Galladay can do that, uh, you know, that that's – that's something. I mean, I think teams were already doing that to some extent, just because I think of they were, yeah. where the you know what else was around him. But that that would be pretty special if he's that type of guy. I mean, he led the league in touchdown catches, right, with eleven. I think he had sixty some receptions, and he yeah. had three different quarterbacks throwing him the ball. I mean, like that's including. You know, no offense to David Blau, but like David Blau <laughs> comes in there at the end of the season, like almost off the street, and it's just. Like you said, the first throw, that, you know, it's to Galladay. That's, I mean, it's a good throw by Blau, but that's also Kenny Galladay being Kenny Galladay. I mean, what what happens if Stafford plays 16 games last year and he's at 90 catches? Then what his numbers look something completely different, and they're probably having to pay him a awful lot more than they might happen to be paying yeah. him right now. But like that's he feels super close to being exactly that, and he's still so young that there's so much in front of him that yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, he does have star sort of the star track or the star potential or whatever it is. And then you look at the Jones situation, you say, well, if Cephas can sort of carry over what he was able to do in training camp and, and put together a pretty good, you know, rookie campaign, then suddenly, you know, maybe that's a guy that works really well with Kenny Galladay for a number of years. And, you know, who knows what happens going forward. But when you have an anchor like that and, and they hope, and, and, and I, to be fair, it's we still need to see, I feel like, a little more. Kenny Galladay could go out there and, you know, just not have it or something, and suddenly the conversation would change. But, you know, if he can perform at the same level or better than he did last year, then you've got a star, and you can sort of build, you know, receivers around him, weapons around him, you know, along with Stafford, and then everything just sort of takes off along for the ride, which is, 
you know, the idea here, right? I mean, I don't know if they need to be throwing the ball 65 times a game, but if they can have balance within their offense, it's incredibly, their offense would be incredibly difficult to scheme against. I I just don't know what you would do in terms of, you know, if their run game is even competent, it it becomes, you know, a, a serious headache to defend, you know, across the board. And, you know, obviously that's what they want. Well, uh, on that note, I guess we'll hit the tight ends and the offensive line because the tight ends, uh, you know, Hawkinson is the the name everyone wants to watch. Mm-hmm. They still seem like they're going to use Jesse James maybe too much in this <laughs> offense uh, <laughs> a, yeah, and try to go, it. you know, with the, you know, just have him in line and, and try to run. I, I don't know that you'd necessarily call it a pro-style attack, but it, they want to be kind of old school at times mm-hmm. uh, with what they're doing. And then that offensive front you mentioned, you know, you got the right side. Um, Baitai is a guy I think that's going to move people in the run game. Jonah Jackson looks like he's kind of mature above his years, but whether or not they can come together and kind of figure things out on the fly is going to go a long way to determining how good this offense is in general because – uh, if teams can just load up and attack that side of the line, um, that that obviously gives you a lot of problems. Uh, so, where do, where do you think they are up front, and where do you think they are at tight end? I mean, are those yeah. spots of strength, or are those big question marks right now? Well, I think the line is still a question mark on on the right side, and like you said, you know, what are they going to do if teams load up? I mean, I think we're going to find out Sunday. <laughs> I imagine the Bears are just you know, okay. We're just going to attack the right side of your line and see what happens. I mean, like that would be. The logical thing to do, as we've said, you know, Vitae has been a good run blocker throughout his career. Evidence sort of backs that up. But he has also had issues in pass protection. And even during the stretch, you know, the Lions like to talk about, you know, he started the Super Bowl and he, he, you know, had to play a lot during that season. I mean, they helped him a ton. There were tight ends that helped him a lot. There were backs that helped him a lot. And that might be something that, you know, the Lions have to do early here, you know, as things sort of settle, as you've got a rookie right next to him. Uh, overall, I mean, I, but overall... Like, I feel like their offensive line, while I would say it's probably unproven, I don't know if I want to say it's a problem because I think it has a chance to actually be pretty, you know, pretty good. I mean, Ragnow might be the best center in the league by the time this season's over, uh, as far as we know, at least in terms of a run blocker. Um, I think Taylor Decker's playing really well. He was playing really well at the end of last year. He had a good camp. I mean, he looks locked in and ready to go. Um, If Vitae is as advertised on the ground and competent in pass protection, then I think you've got a pretty good offensive line. That's a pretty good three-person sort of skeleton to run around. And obviously their decisions with the guards are sort of to, you know, piece it together as they go. And we'll see if Jonah Jackson pans out. But I think it has a chance to be good. Maybe not great, but like good. Um, And then, yeah, the tight ends. I think this should be a big year for Hawkinson. I don't know what Jesse James gives you, and I'm incredibly super fascinated on Hunter Bryant. I have no idea. Is he still on the team? Like, is he still on the 53? (laughs) He's not on IR, right? So is Hunter Bryant healthy? Like, is he going to play? I don't know. I mean, but he was a guy as a route runner that we saw before he got hurt was getting open against everybody. So, like, he's interesting enough to where they couldn't – I mean, they decided they couldn't get rid of him. They couldn't take the chance. Yeah. He didn't so, look healthy yeah. last time we saw him. I mean, the last no, time we saw him, he was carrying a football and limping around the field trying to watch drills. So he didn't look right. like a guy who was going to be ready for week one. They still have Isaac Nada on the practice squad. Maybe that's a swap yeah. they make at some point here in the next few days. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I they keep talking up Jesse James as this guy who can be a bigger part of the offense. But just in terms of his skill set and given the other talent on this offense, I just don't 
I don't know how that happens. I don't know that you want to be uh, feeding Jesse James three or four passes a game just to no. get him involved when you've got other guys that they have. And I agree with you on Hawkinson. Um, I agree with you on the offensive line. I mean, I, I think, you know, you're talking about the Bears. They're going to give you uh, Akeem Hicks in the middle and mm-hmm. Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn on the edge. And so you're going to find out in a hurry just how far you need to go to be yeah. uh, good up front. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, Jackson was impressive to me for most of camp. I, there are still going to be some communication issues, I think, on stuff. Yeah. Just, you know, when He's, teams run some exotic looks at him and, and Vitae on that side just because they haven't played together. But right. uh, I thought, you know, one-on-one when he had those moments, I don't know that you would have asked a whole lot more of him stepping in, you know, cold after an entire virtual offseason. Like, I don't know if this was done on purpose or whatever, but Jonah Jackson reminds me of Graham Glasgow as a rookie. Like, he <laughs> reminds me of this. They're like the same guy, I feel like, in a lot of ways in that they're – they have positional versatility. They're strong guys. They're smart players. They're not crazy athletic. Like, he's not going to be able to, you know, block so far out of his zone or reach, you know, I mean, like, if he's in his, like, square, as they say, like, he's pretty darn good and pretty consistent, which is what, you know, Graham was basically through his entire time in Detroit, and I'm sure will continue to be in Denver, like a really steady football player. So to me, it's not a huge reach I wouldn't think to suggest that Jonah Jackson could have a solid rookie season. Probably not great, but I, I I don't think it. I don't think that it's going to be a mess. Like if it were Stenberg that had to play, it, could, it would probably be a mess because he's quite yeah, a bit behind. Right. <laughs> but like yeah. Jonah Jackson is and is an advanced, you know, sort of. I mean, he talked about it the other day. He's, he played in what six different offenses in college or some something crazy like that. I mean, he's a he's an advanced thinker. Like, he understands football. He's really, really powerful. And I think that he has enough in his toolbox to sort of get through uh, get through the season without too much, you know, holy, you know, what what just happened there issue. But, you know, like you said, I mean, if I'd be more comfortable if he were playing next to a right tackle that had been here for two or three years. And we, sure. we knew more about. But he's not. So, you know, we'll have to see how it goes. A uh, quick reminder here as we swing over to the defense that you can subscribe to one of these years on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, I'm sure we'll get you some more spots here as we move forward. Uh, this is our first episode, and we'll welcome you aboard. I'll mention that you can find Nick uh, on Twitter at Nick Baumgartner. I'm at Chris Burke NFL. And uh, we'll swing over to the defense, which now has Corey Unlin um, maybe calling the plays. If anyone, I don't know. People seem to care a lot about that, uh, whether really it's Unlin or Patricia. Um, certainly will be involved in the game planning and, and in what's going on on that side of the ball. Uh, and uh, as I said, uh, maybe six new starters yeah. uh, for week one. And uh, uh, Danny Shelton and Nick Williams on the line. you got Jamie Collins, uh, Deron Harmon in the, at safety, and then, um, you know, two potentially two new corner I guess either way you're starting yeah, you're putting in way. two new starters whether it's uh, Desmond Trufant and uh Amani Oruwarie or Desmond Trufant and Jeff Okuda so uh it's a lot of moving parts for the type of offseason they had but um it's better right I mean on paper it's better than it was last year I think <laughs> I, I would think so yeah I mean it looks better just from if you if you went back to the beginning of the year last year and looked at the guys that were probably going to start and you go and do the same thing now. Yeah. I mean, it does look better, but I, I don't know if I would say it looks like leaps and bounds better, but it, it shouldn't be as bad as it was. Um, but it's also one of these things, right. Where it's like, we just, 
we hear a lot about, you know, from the Patricia's defense is multiple and it can do a lot of things and it can change a lot based on, you know, the opponent and, Not and, last and year. <laughs> right. And like he oftentimes will say, you know, I try to call or set the defense based on what our guys can do well and what they can and and there are numerous occasions where you could go back and look and say you didn't do that in this situation or whatever at all and you know you guys got burned because of it. So I am super interested to see what sort of the mix, because uh, I'm sure it will be. It'll be Patricia and Corey Unlin coming together with a plan, and whether or not Corey Unlin calls, you know, 75% of those calls live in a game, and I, you know that to me is maybe a little overblown. But like together, they'll come up with a game plan, and that's the thing where I'm sort of interested is uh, is it going to be, you know, a little different? Is it going to make a little more sense in terms of you're not putting a guy who obviously we like. You're not asking Will Harris to do something he obviously can't do in situation, you know. And we saw that a lot over time. And I think that a lot of the Lions' problems were self-inflicted by I don't want to say like lying to themselves about what certain guys could and couldn't do, but they're it just they were stretching a lot last year with with you know like we talk about Jared Davis a lot, right? Where it's like stop asking him to do stuff that he can't do, and maybe find out figure out a way to put him in a situation where he can help you, and maybe things look different. I, that's really the the end of the day, you know, answer to the question that we just don't know yet is what's it going to look like in terms of look and feel? Is it going to make more sense logically? Um, because it does look on paper. I mean, it does look like it's a more stable group, uh, you know, if they stay healthy, especially. But, you know, I mean, we just we just don't know how it's going to look uh, in terms of the calls. Yeah. And I think that's sort of right at the heart of what was wrong last year. And, you know, people critics of Matt Patricia last year and of this defense looked at it why don't you blitz more and why don't you disguise coverages more and I think a lot of that was because they just didn't trust the guys who were out there to do some of those things you mentioned Harris uh certainly got thrown into a tough spot playing a lot of free safety in the Mm. second half of the year which he cannot play there I mean that period didn't go well that's it (laughs) he can't play there um and now you've got Harmon playing free safety so Will Harris is in a more comfortable spot and the linebackers too you know you didn't really have a guy like Jalen yeah. Reeves, Maven, I guess in theory, or Christian Jones, maybe on occasion could help you in coverage, but you didn't have those guys that you were going to drop into zone and just know they could erase a, a chunk of the field in the middle of the, you know, in the middle because they were so competent in that area. And, um, you know, I'm not saying that this is right or wrong, <laughs> but hmm. you talk about Quandre Diggs not being here anymore, Darius yeah. Slay not being here anymore. Those are two guys that are very talented football players. But it, the same thing, to go back to the trust, I don't think Matt Patricia trusted them to run the types of things no. he wanted to run. I think they do what they do very well, and those weren't the things that Matt Patricia wanted them to do, and that's why they're not here anymore. So Right, and and vice versa, I think we can sure. say, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. We, we know that now. I mean, like, as they both came out and basically trashed the entire thing, but, like, but, you know, you can say whatever you want. Like you said, Chris, right or wrong, the situation is probably, bit, you know, from a standpoint of, you're you're going to have more trust in the 11 that you put out there that all 11 are going to do what was called, I think, right? They're all going to do, whereas last year, you know, and Slay is the type of guy I think that you can live with. And maybe, you know, if Patricia looks back in five years on this whole thing and says maybe I should have been more willing to live with the risks maybe that he would take during, you know, a play or whatever, because he can pay it off, you know, for you because he's talented enough to do it. Diggs? Uh, you know, you would have to convince me that he's as talented as, you know, a guy that you're going to live with taking risks, some of the risks that he would take. Now he goes to a different system in Seattle and, and plays great because that system fits exactly what, you know, he does best. But 
either way, it, it does seem like, you know, the level of trust between, you know, coach, coordinator, and roster starting 11, you know, top 15, it seems like it's better right now. But then again, if I went back to the beginning of last year and asked you the same question, I think most would say it feels better than it did the year before, but maybe not great. Yeah. It still feels like one notch above that, though, to me, I guess, you know, when I look back and say, you know, is there uncertainty? Probably. But I think for the most part, guys are on the same page about what they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. And I don't want to throw Slay or Diggs no, under the bus. No. Like, they certainly were not the reasons that this defense didn't work No, last and they're year. good players. And Slay they're like, they're, yeah, still right. one of the best cornerbacks in football. And uh, Diggs was great, too. I don't want to say that he's not, but, like... They're both good players, but it just in terms of fit, sometimes it doesn't yeah. work. And it goes kind of goes back to the whole theme of the Bob Quinn, Matt Patricia regimes that they have very specific ideas yeah. for what they need at each position, and those guys didn't fit those those ideas. You know, Quandre yeah. Diggs was, uh, you know, he was a cornerback that Jim Caldwell was like, well, we need a safety, let's give him a shot there, and it mm-hmm. worked out great. And Darius Slay's been a you know perennial Pro Bowl, All Pro type guy, so. Those certainly are talented players, but you know, you, you look at even just at the cornerback spot, the type of player that Desmond Trufant is, the type of things that Jeff Okuda did in college, yep. you know, that look like they'll translate just in terms of understanding routes and and switching between, you know, some of that man matching and all those things that they do at Ohio State. Like it looks like from a mental, in terms of mentally processing the game, those are guys that. Uh, should be able to hit the ground running fairly early. You know, you don't want to put too much on Okuda's plate right away, but, you know, just think that they should be able to uh, kind of work some of the things that maybe Matt Patricia wants to do if he does disguise his coverages or if he does start to blitz more this year. I'm also – I feel like personally I – my expectations for what Jamie Collins is going to do for this defense are way too high, and I've been trying (laughs) – trying to temper them but i just sort of keep going back to looking at the last two years and thinking well what is this defense really missing and it's him it's a guy that plays like him you know someone that you can move up you know maybe he comes up he rushes off the edge we saw him uh in the a gaps a couple times he's batting down passes and, and getting after the quarterback he can go cover in the slot he can draw like he does everything that you need a linebacker to do in the current nfl and Jared Davis, Jelani Tavai, at least as a rookie, you know, Christian Jones, they they don't. Those aren't the guys that you can counter yeah. an opposing offense with. And Jamie Collins, you know, sort of at his peak is that guy. I don't I guess that's kind of the the worry and why I've been trying to reel it in a little bit is, you know, is he still the best version of himself? Right. Yeah. And well also, I mean, this is a little different circumstance, obviously, because he's coming to Patricia's system, but when he left New England for Cleveland, and they moved—I mean, they made yeah. tried to move him into an edge rusher, but that was a disaster. <laughs> so, yeah, right. uh, now that he's outside of New England, even if he's in a familiar system with a familiar coach, is he going to be the guy he was for New England? Yeah, like I think physically, that's the question, right? Where it's like, where's he at physically? I mean, he looked good and fine. You know, he—he's a glider. I mean, he's such a natural athlete and everything else, and explosive and everything else. But you know, in the role that he plays in this system, like. And I don't know if this was the case of, you know, they were able to develop him into this or he was just innately like this. But, like, he just seems like he could roll out of bed and know exactly what he's supposed to be doing on every single situation and doesn't blink. Like, when he is playing at, I would assume when he's healthy and confident in his body, 
Like, he just plays with such... You, you could watch even last year's tape when he was back with New England. Like, there's just so much confidence. Like, he's never thinking. Like, he's never... There's never a hitch in anything he's trying to do. Whenever he's going somewhere, he knows exactly where he's supposed to be. And there's not any... You can't ever see it in him where he just freezes. Like, we talk a lot about that with Davis, where there was so many times where you can just see the wheels turning, like, way too fast in his head. And he gets sort of locked into a spot, and it costs him a half second. Like, Collins, that just never seems to happen when he's playing in this in this system for whatever reason. And maybe that's it's just a perfect fit for whatever. But, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I think that if his body is, you know, what it was a year ago, then his impact on this defense should be worth quite a bit because it, it would allow you to sort of be more settled in the middle. Uh, and last year, as we know, it was just a nightmare. I mean, it was just every time, you know, every time you had to drop – these guys into coverage was like, well, what's going to go wrong here? Like, I mean, is somebody yeah, going to miss right. miss a drop? Is somebody going to go to the wrong spot? Like, and that's usually what it was. It wasn't like this person isn't fast enough or this person isn't talented enough. It was they're they're not in the right spot. They're there too late. They're thinking, you know, they took the wrong step here and they couldn't recover. And, and the, that's the NFL. I mean, that's just how it goes. And Collins is just this fluid player that doesn't take, you know, wrong steps. It doesn't take the wrong path. He takes the right one every single time. And he gets there faster than most because he's a crazy athlete. So it's just, we'll see how his body holds up, I guess. But, you know, if he can sort of impart any of that wisdom, I don't even know if that's something where it's just sort of a thing that I don't know how good of a teacher he is or isn't. But, like, if he could impart that on others, I think it would help tremendously because it's a complicated, this system is complicated for linebackers. I mean, every linebacker will tell you that. It's hard, uh, especially the guys who are who are supposed to play inside. So, yeah. you know, if he can help them with that, I think that would that would go a long way. And that's why I think I, I still think there's a possibility that Jelani Tavai becomes a pretty good NFL linebacker. I mean, I think once yeah. this slows down for him, he's got a little more of that range that Jared Davis doesn't necessarily seem to have. Um, but he can yeah. help. You know, he can get downhill and really help you that way. And they, I think, some of the additions they made, like Jalen Reeves, maybe still maybe a guy that can help you. But you know, Reggie Ragland looked kind of interesting in camp as a guy that they yeah. playing in sort of that Jack linebacker role behind. Uh, Christian Jones, um, Elijah Lee, I guess, is on the roster. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, Julian Okwara is you – know, we haven't gotten talked about Julian right. Okwara here as, you know, we kind of wind down this first episode. But um, I don't really know what he's going to be in this defense either because uh, I think that there's sort of a path where he becomes kind of a Jamie Collins light where he's mm, yes. all over the place. And, yeah. and then there's the other way where you just look at him and say, all right, he's just going to be – we're just going to team off on passing downs. Let him go get the passer, and if he becomes more than that, great. But <laughs> this is what we're going to have him do. So um, I don't know what your thoughts are after seeing him for a couple weeks in person. Uh, you know, and he's he didn't participate in the scrimmage at Ford Field last weekend either. So we don't know where his health's at. But I mean, do you think he's a impact guy in this defense? I think I think like you said, situationally, you know, if it's like third and ten, third and eleven. And you just want to put him, put him, you know, put his hand on the ground and say, just go run around a tackle. Like I, I, you can trust him to do that. I, but like his future as a player, like he, he just seemed to me when we watched all of his stuff from last year and even going back a little further, uh, you know, like a, a project. I mean, he's a guy that's going to take a minute because he plays this position. He, he could potentially fill one of these spots on the edge of a guy who can just do, you know, so many different things for you as almost like a hybrid type front-level hybrid, you know, a guy who can rush off the edge, who in theory should be able to drop in coverage. He's fast enough to do that. Uh, you know, all these things 
maybe not exactly like a Collins, but maybe in the sense of a guy who you could stay on this roster for a long, long time, and he could do he could fill a couple check a couple boxes for you with one person to where you wouldn't have to get somebody else that could do these things. But he's not there today. I don't know when he's going to be there, and that's of all the guys on this team that were probably hurt the most this year in terms of losing reps in the offseason, uh, Julian Aquara and probably Stenberg are the two that sort of stand out to me in that mm-hmm. they were the two rookies that needed them. I guess we can could, we could say Jason Huntley now, too, because it's not on the team anymore. But like those are the two rookies that have a lot of potential, but even when they finished their college career, especially Aquara, Aquara like, didn't even come close, I don't think, to topping out of what he can be as a player at Notre Dame, and he was still pretty good. You know what I'm saying? So, like, he's a super exciting guy if you want to go into the weeds on, but, like, for right now, I don't know how much you can trust him other than, you know, a situational rusher off the edge because, you know, are you going to trust him to drop and cover somebody on a Sunday in a game against a real offense? I don't know. It could it could get a, become an adventure you don't want to take. So, right now, I think they can carve a rollout for him, but it might not be super expansive, and uh, I guess we'll see, you know, how effective he can be off the edge. All right, I got a couple couple questions for you as we uh, close out here. Is Jared Davis on this roster next year? I don't think so. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, unless he just like it becomes yeah. a revelation as like a, a a rusher. But like the more we watch Jared Davis, the more I'm like, man, like they just he's either love him so much. They well, yeah, I mean, like he 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 works his ass off. I mean, he, yeah. he plays hard. He loves to play. He wants to be good. All these things. And if it were a different system, and all he had to do was go like see ball, hit ball, he'd probably have 120 tackles a season. But that's not what they're asking him to do, and that's not the NFL really anymore. I mean, there's there's things about the NFL that are going to challenge linebackers, and you know, I feel like Jared Davis is sort of a throwbackish player. Um, I don't know. I mean, like it would have to be a, a pretty stark. Yeah. You know, he's going to have to prove that he can cover. How about that? I mean, if he's if he's back next year, then his coverage. Uh, sort of efficiency is going to have to be like double of what it was a year ago. Otherwise, you have to move on because I just don't know what else he's going to be able to give you other than, you know, one down, you know. And, and right now you've got him and Tavai, like you said, Chris. I mean, they're like kind of very similar players. Tavai's younger and probably a little sharper in terms of his reads. So, you know, maybe he's the guy that you pick a lane with and you move, and you move forward on. I Yeah, his the way they use him as a blitzer makes him really tough to deal with. And yeah. I, but I also think that there's, there's gotta be a, I mean, you can't do that on every play and you can't right. have him out there really that much on third downs. Cause if he doesn't blitz, then you're in trouble. Yeah. And if he That's blitzes every, every yeah, right. time, then teams are going to know <laughs> right. he's coming. Um, so there, there's gotta be, you're kind of walking a fine line there with using him. I mean, I, I kept waiting to see in camp that, you know, Patricia and the, this coaching staff always talks about trying to slow things down for him because he just wants to fly forward and hit people and, right. you know, clobber running backs. And it's been two, two, three years, even dating back to the Caldwell era, talking about mm-hmm. slowing things down, letting him see the field. And I kept waiting for evidence that that's happening in camp. And he made some run stops like on goal line plays, but that's kind of in yeah. his wheelhouse where you yeah. know a guy's coming right at you. I didn't see a lot of evidence on other in other areas that he's a completely different player now than he was a year ago other than that he's bigger he's bigger but like, yeah, but like that's not really that really wasn't the issue uh yeah so but yeah exactly i mean like when he comes through an a gap and all that's standing between him and the quarterback is a running back like you'll take that because he's just gonna run the running back over and <laughs> you'll be in the quarterback's face and like 
a half second. But like that's not that's not football more than a handful of times in a game, or maybe even every couple weeks, uh, given the situation now. I just I just don't know you know how he fits if you can't trust him and you know there like you said Chris there's nothing there wasn't anything that we saw in the two weeks we were out there you know that would let, lead me to believe that it's markedly different and if anything it would be the opposite i mean like he he right away they went out there in individual you know we saw the first couple of days of practice it was like okay well everything looks fine everything looks fine and here comes you know sort of 7 on 7 or individual stuff where he's got to cover somebody either in a zone dropper and man he's just getting scorched and so you know, the light will have to come on or it won't, but I think he knows the situation. I think they do too. Um, I think he's a, a, a good enough guy and a guy that they like in terms of all of his attitude and everything else that they can certainly find a role for him somewhere to do something. But going forward, it becomes more difficult to see what that would be, you know, beyond, you know, a situational thing. Yeah. I mean, if he is like a fourth round pick, you just yeah, so he'd be like Miles Killebrew. Like you just put right. him on special teams forever right. and let him play yeah. a little bit. And but he, I think you can't. I mean, you're trying to make him your starting middle linebacker, inside linebacker for you know four years now. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, my la- so my last question is: is there is there a guy on defense that you think we're not talking about enough, or that you think is going to surprise people this year, or have we covered everything? <laughs> uh, like Duran Harmon was the guy for me all off season that I felt like didn't get a lot of uh because I don't think people quite understood what he was in New England. Um and I think he's gonna help them a lot. Uh Danny Shelton, I guess, is probably the one that for me in camp was the one at the end that I probably stopped and was like, man, he could really be a huge upgrade for them if he stays healthy. Obviously everything comes with that caveat, but like he was in there, he didn't miss a rep. He was out there for everything. He was effective uh, in run and pass situations. It just he he wasn't ever standing around or just like you know kind of there to be there. He's like there to play football. You could tell he seems like exactly. The t- I mean, we didn't we don't really know Danny Shelton. Obviously, we haven't been able to be in the locker rooms, but he seems like the perfect fit. You know, personality wise for what they want this defense to be. Like he's a guy that if he can stay healthy, I feel like he should should be a pretty sizable upgrade in the middle uh it's just the depth of concern but i mean he's the guy that i, I feel like maybe doesn't get talked maybe he does i don't know but maybe he doesn't that's the guy that i've kind of uh, settled on do you have one i mean it'd be huge for them if it was deshaun hand uh, yeah yeah good point i i don't know that i can't you can say, say that, that with any yeah. yeah right <laughs> i don't know that you yeah. can say that but it'd be huge for them i mean i i, I am i think oruwarie was good in camp and i mm-hmm. wonder if there's if there's a scenario here where we see the cornerback group at some point wind up being Trufant or Warrior on Okuda with Okuda getting some time in the slot. Yeah, um, that's that seems like where it's headed right now, right? Because he played, I mean, Okuda moved in there against some really tough receivers in the big, I mean, at least some quick guys in the Big Ten uh, mm-hmm. that could give you some trouble. And he played in there and, and handled himself well. And I, Justin Coleman to me yeah. is either really good or he's a huge liability. And there hasn't really been an in-between. And I think we saw that again in camp. There were some days where he shut down everything. And then other days where, he, you know, you basically ran anything that resembled a crossing route and guys were wide open. Right. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, Oral worry is one to me that he might be starting week one if they don't think Okuda's ready. But I think he's going to get a lot of playing time as this year goes on. And, and I think he's there. I think there's something there that could make him a pretty effective outside, you know, press corner in this league. 
I do too. I think that Okuda and Owarie have the potential to be what you want a cornerback duo to be in, in time. Like not Sunday or maybe even this season in total, right? But like in time, that looks like, you know, like you could convince me it wouldn't take a lot of squinting to convince me that that's going to turn into a pretty good duo at some point. Um, like he did have a good camp, Owarie. I mean, he did... Uh, I a slot corner. That's that's the stuff. Of the, that's a really hard job. Like that's yeah, the one right. thing where I always yeah. try to keep that in my mind. Where it's like you are asking like the impossible sometimes of these slot corners, given what they're what they're sort of coming up against. But you're right in that Coleman, the level of consistency has got to be better. I would worry a little bit about Okuda in the slot, uh, but I, we're gonna have to see it. Yeah. But that's the one where I'm kind of like. If, if confidence isn't, if you're not worried about his confidence, like if you think that he's just going to be, and maybe that's true. I mean, he is a pretty sharp kid. You talked to him the other day about, uh, last week we wrote that story about what he was reading. I mean, he is a really smart, like really disciplined, mental, you know, whatever, kid. If you're not worried about his confidence, then I think he can handle, he can go in there and because he's going to get beat a few times and it might not be pretty. But if you are worried about his confidence, I'm not so sure about that because that slot stuff is really, really tough, and they still don't really have an answer there. Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't know that I'm suggesting that he be a full time slot guy. I just yeah, think that the or well, Warriors yeah, to me saying. is someone that mm-hmm. looks like he probably deserves to be on the field a little bit at, yeah. at some in some capacity. Whether you're going to you know four corners some on some <laughs> reps or whatever the case may be, like I think he's someone that might force his way onto the field a little bit more. Um, you're right. I don't know. You know, Coleman, I think, is fine there. Tony McRae looked all right when they uh, yeah. had him in the slot. and Maybe he gives you some depth. But, um, you know, I, I don't know that you can just sit Oro Warrior on the bench all year because I think he played better than that in camp. Um, and at the end of last year, he was uh, Yeah, yeah, he made some too. plays. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got any, any like, punter thoughts you want to get out <laughs> before we close it? Do Jeff we have Fox? any – one more, the safeties, before yeah. we run out of here. Um, I think we all agree that Tracy Walker's – on the verge here. Um, do we? We do. do uh, they? Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't. I still am going to convince myself that that was much ado about nothing because if they're not, if he's not on the field all game long, I don't know what's happening, but, you know, whatever. Um, I don't know. I guess your thoughts in general. Like, J. Ron Curse, we saw a little bit of him. I, I don't know what to make of... I assume he's going to be that, that guy once he comes back from... Um, suspension there maybe the third safety I don't know but like beyond Harmon and Walker I gotta tell you it doesn't look great uh, <laughs> as we see yeah. here it didn't look great at camp and I just it's still really really kind of shaky to me overall I mean I do think where they had Will Harris makes a lot more sense for Will Harris as I said yeah. like if he's if you're gonna play him kind of close like almost that Tavon Wilson role like closer to the box mm-hmm. overhang him a little let him play in the slot like I think he can be fine there he's a physical guy that's probably the role curse would step back into as yeah. well I mean he played some free safety in camp um, but I don't know that you want him you know I don't yeah, know that he's right. the Deron Harmon center fielder type so um You've got a couple guys there. Walker kind of covers you everywhere. I mean, I think yeah. if you want him to cover, great. If you want him to play up high, sure. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think that he um, – we did something as an NFL athletic staff a few weeks ago where we had to pick, you know, a guy that you thought was going to have a real breakthrough, and I suggested Walker as a pro bowler this year because I think, mm-hmm. you know, he's had 100 tackles last year. If you had a couple picks to that, you're in the pro yeah. bowl, and I think he's got some of that playmaking. He shut down – I mean, he was – 
he locked up everyone in camp, and that's yeah. not not just tight ends. Like they had him covering Amendola, and they had mm-hmm. you know they had him on wide receivers, and he looked great. So I'm with you. If he's not out there, um, I don't yeah, really understand it because <laughs> <laughs> right. I think he's better in pretty much all areas right now than Will Harris, at least from what we've seen. Yeah, so agree. Um, but yeah, that depth there is a concern. You know, Braden uh, Coombs did talk up C.J. Moore as a special teams guy. Um, and he played in a pinch last year. Maybe he helps you a little. But I, I think the first three weeks, you're just kind of crossing your fingers. And then when Curse gets back, you feel a little better there. But a lot of it does come down to just how good Tracy Walker is and how much they <laughs> let him yeah. be good, I guess. Because I think yeah, Harmon. Yeah, let him be good. Yeah. Good Harmon. Well, I guess. Do you have any concerns about Harmon going from what he was in New England to what Detroit needs him to be? Because he, he wasn't out there all the time for New England. Yeah. It was, was so their weird. Closer. Like, New England, yeah, right. Like, New England stuff is so strange to me at times. And I feel like they do it, and they do some of the personnel shifting and things just to mess with people, I feel like, sometimes. Because, like, when you watch when you watch New England games, every time they were in a big spot, he was on the field. Like, that's, I, I don't know. I mean, like, that, that, that's what it seemed like to me. They called him their closer. He was out there a lot. He didn't start games. But every time it got hairy, he was out there. Because he's just, I just... I don't know. We'll see how it holds up, I guess, if he's out there, you know, every snap all season long. But what they're going to ask him to do from an organizational standpoint and everything else, they did not have that last season, you know, and they did not have somebody, uh, you know, that could play deep and just really kind of set the defense in front of him the way that I anticipate Harmon will be able to do. I mean, he seems like a natural in that area. Um, He's not like a super explosive athlete or anybody that's like, you know, so impressive athletically that you're like, jaw dropping on but he just looks like a really smart player who just doesn't ever deviate from exactly what he's supposed to do and that's like the theme right now when I look at all the additions they sort of brought in and we talked about it at the beginning here like there's more guys you know I know we can say this with full confidence there are more guys that I'm sure Patricia trusts that will do exactly what you know that call says they need to do in a given situation whereas last year you might have got that on eight out of the eleven like depending on who was out there I think you can get closer to 11 out of 11 with this group whether or not that means anything remains to be seen but in terms of peace of mind and knowing that hey if I call you know cover six on this I'm not going to have somebody branching off into something else because they think that you know they might be able to jump around and get a pick and all of a sudden we give up 70 yarder like that's that's the stuff that was happening last year at times uh maybe not as much as they would have narrative shaped it to but it did happen (laughs) yeah and, like, I think that if they can get rid of a lot of that, it will fix so much of so many of the issues that we saw last year uh, just by itself. All right. Well, we'll uh, wrap up our supersized first episode of one of these years uh, right there. We've, uh, as this was our, you know, inaugural show and season preview, we went uh, a little longer than we normally will on a weekly basis. We'll be back after week one for our, our next show. Um, be uh probably try and keep it under an hour at that point but like i said we had a lot of ground to cover here excited to be here with you talking lions football uh you can find us on apple podcasts and spotify and a bunch of other spots so please go subscribe let us know what you think about the show um said trying to work on getting uh, some sort of promo code for you so you can get over and get an athletic subscription if you don't have one now but uh, we also always have some sort of deal running oh yeah so oh, make yeah. sure you get over to the athletic and we'll have some stuff uh, for the start of the NFL season too. So get over to theathletic.com and check that out if you still need a subscription. Thanks to everyone again who uh, 
kind of pushed for the Lions podcast to come back. Uh, happy to be here and looking forward to this season. So I got to go teach first grade math <laughs> upstairs somehow. So. <laughs> I hope you invested in a calculator, Chris. We'll find out how this goes. Yeah, I think I can handle it. So <laughs> yeah, at least right. third or fourth third grade. Third or fourth we'll grade is where it gets hopefully we're Hopefully they're back in the building by then. So. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.